it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I'm joined by ESPN's Rob Domofsky as we discuss the Green Bay Packers, the team he covers. Is there any chance he thinks Aaron Rodgers could end up in Washington? Then I talked to ESPN's Dan Graziano. I wanted to provide an outside perspective on all that's been happening here. Also, time for a little prediction by me. You can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Domofsky. That's D-E-M-O-V-S-K-Y. And you can follow Dan at Dan Graziano ESPN. You can read all our work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up today about Taylor Heineke's relationship with his late father and how it relates to the Packers, why Sunday will be an emotional day for him. Okay, before I play my conversations, it's prediction time. And yes, I think the Packers are going to win. I have, I think, at 33-24. As you'll hear from Rob, the Packers' D is a mess because of injuries. They're vulnerable in the air, but can Washington take full advantage? 24 might be pushing it. Kansas City was vulnerable as well. It didn't matter. I do agree with Taylor Heineke that he was trying to be too perfect against the Chiefs. The troubling part for me was how many open targets he had against the Chiefs. And some of that was a function of, again, maybe not wanting to make a mistake, but he can't play like that. He has said that. Scott Turner said that. He'd get off a look too fast or stick with another too long. There were, there were, there were too many times with that. Also, there were a couple times he could have used his legs to extend more or create outside the pocket, and he did not. That's his game. That's how he has to play. So I'll be curious to see if he takes that approach um, Sunday. It's admirable that he wants to stay in the pocket, but there's that fine line with him being smart and protecting himself and then making plays. He needs to create. Some of this also go back, goes back to what I'd hear in the offseason, especially with from Ron Rivera. How do you play when you have something to lose? I don't like that Antonio Gibson, at his, that his shin continues to bother him. They need that run game to work, and with an ailing Gibson, that's tough. I do like how the old line played against the Chiefs for the most part, including the right side. There were a couple issues I felt like where the line had in the screen game where they could have had huge plays against the Chiefs, but they couldn't hold their blocks. One time it's three guys against two, didn't get the linebacker. And sometime, one time I think it was Chase Ruye. I think one time there was someone else. I couldn't tell if it was a miss, uh, a block that wasn't sustained or if, if Gibson went to the wrong area. Regardless, they were there. Um, but overall, they played pretty well. Uh, Gibson did practice on Thursday limited, but at least he was able to go. So we'll see what he can do on Sunday. And while I've seen some growth in the defense the past two games, I'm not confident that they can hold down Green Bay's offense enough to give their offense a chance to help. Green Bay is, I think, better in the run game than, than the Chiefs, and that's going to be a problem. Washington's corners, as you know, are too inconsistent in coverage and with their tackling. I like how the front has been playing, and I like that Jamin Davis was good in coverage last week. I know you're not allowed to say this. You can only say that he needs to be cut and he's the worst player ever, but Landon Collins did help in the run game when playing downhill in that linebacker role. Yes, he made other mistakes, but you need to watch the whole game if you're going to judge a player. And there was a couple sequences where you say that was good. A couple others where you say you got to be better. 
There are new things he must learn in this role. His reads are different, as are some of the coverage angles. The issue for him, though, comes in space, whether in coverage or tackling. That's been the problem this year. Some of the coverage issues might stem from being in a different role, but on the long one he gave up to the tight end, he didn't play the ball well in the air. So even if he took, looks like he takes a flatter angle than he would want, but he has even said that usually he's covering that route from a safety position. This time he's doing it from a linebacker spot. So he read it differently, but I also wonder if he wasn't too flat on that once he saw that the tight end was going upfield. So I think he is, his, his mind was telling him one thing, but his eyes probably should have told him another. Um, and so I don't know if that's just from playing linebacker or is that instincts? You can make up your own mind. But again, there were plays that he made otherwise for, um, that, were, that were positive. The inconsistency, though, with the secondary is baffling. And that's why Aaron Rodgers and company will have a big game. Now, on to one more topic before we get going. Well, actually, there'll be two. The two are rumors. I was categorically, categorically told they were BS and done to drum up trade interest. A couple other beat reporters, namely Sam Portier from The Post and J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington, were told the same. I knew that some key, key people here were not Tua fans before I knew, before all this stuff came out, I knew this. So that helped shape my belief that what they said is probably on the up and up. Yes, teams lie and deny all the time. I know that. I've done this for a long time. I also know when I ask something of this group and they don't want to answer it, they just won't. You get crickets. So the replies came back strong this time. Again, is it a, you know, you never know quite what's going on behind closed doors. It's not a foolproof system, but it's why I don't think they're, it, it all adds up to them not being on him, knowing what I know. And I don't think it was unanimous that they didn't like him here before. I just know some key people were not high on him. Also, if you if you lie this strongly, it damages relationships and it's a horrible, horrible look. Might they have called them? Perhaps. I was told no, but if you need a quarterback, you know the current draft class isn't great. You do due diligence. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But like I said, the, like I said, some here did not like him before the 2020 draft. And despite what some thought at the time, it did not come down to Chase Young um, or Tua. Tua's, they, and there were definitely some here who preferred Justin Herbert over Tua. I know that from those conversations I had leading into that draft. I don't think Tua is the answer here anyway. The big question you'd have to ask is why would Miami trade him after two years? Yes, Deshaun Watson is better if that's where they went. But if they believed in him, they could use that capital to build a stronger roster around Tua. It also definitely appears they were not all in on him from the start. And it hasn't helped that Miami has had multiple coordinators in his time there. If you got him for a low round pick and viewed him as more of a, as a curiosity, maybe he develops. Okay. And he, but you know, that's one thing. Um, but it also doesn't seem like Houston wants him to return. Why is that? I've heard he's a good worker. I also hear that he's a lot going on with his family and with endorsements. I'm not sure it always sat well with some folks down in Miami. So that's what's going on right now with that. So I wouldn't hold my breath on that one based on what I and others have heard. Finally, Dustin Hopkins. I get why they wanted to cut him. He was inconsistent. What I've heard is that sometimes he overthinks situations and perhaps that prevents him from getting past a certain point as a kicker in the NFL. He certainly reached a, a plateau here. My only issue is that they signed a guy in Chris Blue with no experience who was a 69.6% .6 kicker in college. It is a big gamble. Maybe he's better, but you know, and that of course was five years ago. That's the last time he kicked in a game. It felt like somewhat of an abrupt change for Rivera when, because he had certainly been in, in Hopkins' corner, but I also think he saw nothing had really changed with Hopkins from last year, that some of the inconsistencies, inconsistencies that he hoped would be cleaned up, two missed, two missed extra points a couple of weeks ago, 
and then the missed field goal. And, and, you know, I also know that when Rivera said on Monday that he wanted to change his approach, this was part of that plan. So anyway, there you go. Now let's get to my conversation with ESPN's Rob Domofsky, the Joe Barry experience in Green Bay, and his thoughts on Aaron Rodgers coming to Washington. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Rob Domofsky. All right, Rob. Well, this is kind of the life isn't always fair department because since Aaron Rodgers has been in Green Bay, you've covered what about one starting quarterback, but maybe a couple of the guys started games. I've covered 18 starting quarterbacks in that time. This just doesn't seem fair. I wonder what it would be if you went back to Favre. I mean, like I covered Favre's tenure. I think ninety-two. All right, then it's I think it's thirty. I think I want to say because I did that big story earlier this year and all that, and I want to say it's thirty. That and well, it's interesting um, because the Packers, John, just came off playing. Packers just came off playing the Bears, right? And Rogers, you know, of course, he's told the Bears of the city of Chicago, I still yeah. hope you, which he might not be wrong. He's twenty-two no. and five against them, but uh, Justin Fields was the twentieth different starting quarterback to start against the Packers since Favre took over. The Packers have had three against the Bears in that time, <laughs> Favre, Rodgers, and Brett Hundley. Now, other guys have started, just not against the Bears, and the Bears right. have had other guys start. But in the head-to-head since 1992, 20-3 to in terms of different starting quarterbacks. It's brutal. I mean, because, like, this team is going to be looking for another one in the offseason. And, you know, of course, Aaron Rodgers might be available. So then it's going to get the rumor mill going, and I'm sure he'd love to come east. Isn't that what you hear? <laughs> Uh, first of all, it's just like with Favre in 2008 when they were going to trade him. There's no way they're trading him to an NFC team. There's right. no way, right? Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. The Packers had um, they had equal trade offers from Tampa and the Jets when the Favre thing happened. They went to Favre and said, which one do you want to go to? He said Tampa, so they sent him to the Jets. <laughs> That's the story. So the only chance these guys have is if he – if if Rogers tells him he wants to go to Denver and they send him here, he might have to, he might have to do one year in Denver. Uh, <laughs> and then his contract runs out. Cause that's what happened with, with fire. Right. He had, I think he had a year left, did his one year um, sentence with the jets. And, <laughs> and then he got to go where he ultimately wanted to go. Now I always maintain that if he was going to end up in Minnesota anyway, they should have just traded him there to begin with. Cause they could have gotten a heck of a lot more. Minnesota sure. It's just never going to happen. Right. No one's going to change. Uh, no one's going to uh, trade somebody within the division. No. And, and, and you know, I don't even think it would be within the conference. Well, and, well, the problem is, like, if you if they actually went that round, trade him here, you automatic, automatically make any team with him a contender. So yeah. you're only hurting yourself. It wouldn't make sense at all. Yeah. So, but how has he been playing? Like, this team is banged up, and they're 5-1. and one. Like, how is that happening? Is it just because this guy is that good? I think it is. I really do. I mean, you've seen him. He's he, he tilts the field. He doesn't even have that many big weapons. He's got uh, Devontae Adams, who in my time here, and I, you know, was Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver. Uh, he's the best of them all. Like I've ne- I've never covered Sterling Sharp uh, in his when he was here, but uh, Adams is the best I've ever seen. In fact, James Jones even told me last year he goes, he's better than all of us. Wow. Uh, and and it's it's incredible, John, because like. Every stadium you go into, it's just like, you know, watching Jordan. You know where the ball is going. You know Jordan's going to take the shot. You know Devontae is getting the ball. 
and most teams can't stop him. He, he got sort of stopped last week, uh, only four catches, but I think he was at like 89 or 90 yards on right. those four catches, including a 41-yarder down the field. So, uh, you know, they have the running game with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, but it's basically if it's not Adams, then it's Jones and Dillon. If it's not Jones and Dillon, then it's Adams, and, and Rodgers just seems to find a way to make it work. I do think Matt LaFleur, um, his scheme has helped. I mean, there's guys, you know, there are guys running wide open. Uh, that that was not the case, you know, at, at the end of the McCarthy tenure. So um, it's it's a lot scheme, but it's mostly quarterback. And, you know, it's funny because the connection with Adams is, is amazing because, I mean, that back shoulder, they, they, they are – you talk about guys are on the same page. They kind of define that. Whatever that term means, they kind of define it. Oh, and I thought Jordy Nelson and Rodgers had it, which they did. Um, but Adams has taken it to another level. I mean, the one thing about Adams is, you know, he's got such great moves off the line. I mean, I think he's probably the best, you know, at the line of scrimmage beating press coverage. And yet teams still try to press him, which is amazing to me. Uh, and, and then he's just got – balance like I think balance as a receiver is so underrated and he just he's always on his feet he never ever goes down and I don't mean tackle he just never falls down he never slips he's just he always stays on his feet um and and it's remarkable and he's going to be the highest paid receiver in the league it's just a matter of you know if it's here or somewhere else and and they can't I can't believe they haven't come to a deal yet but maybe Adams is waiting to see uh, where Rodgers ends up next year. And, and you know, to me, you take the money and, and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is here. And, uh, you know, Jordan, Love, Jordan loves the quarterback here. They're going to need Devontae Adams even more. Right. With, when you look at, you know, with Rodgers, and I've, I've seen his numbers when, when he's considered under pressure. They're not good this year. Is that – I think he's completed, like, according to our stats, ESPN stats in the vote, 13 for 35. Is that, do you feel like that's an accurate representation of how it's looked in games? And, and if so, what, what's going on there? I do think it's accurate, but I would venture to say that the amount of times he's under pressure, under duress is less. Okay. So he's having, he's having more opportunities when he's not pressured. Okay. Uh, I mean, look at, look at the numbers that when he gets the ball out in 2.5 seconds or less, they're, they're off the charts. And I would venture to say that the attempts are very high in that too. I just don't think there's been a lot of times where he's, he has been pressured. Now, when he has been pressured, yeah, maybe he hasn't made the off schedule plays uh, like he used to, but go back and look at the touchdown run, the scramble right, yeah. against, uh, against the bears. Yeah. I mean, a couple of us in the media here have kind of given Rodgers a hard time over the last year or so about, you know, do you sense that any of your physical skills are declining and, my buddy Pete Doherty, who's the columnist at the Press Gazette, wrote something about it. And every time Rodgers has a run in the game, he comes into the press conference and he goes, Pete, what would you think of that? He definitely has embraced the fact that maybe he isn't as light on his feet as he used to be. But uh, it, I, don't, I don't know that it's really prevented him from doing anything that he needs to do. So is it a matter? Because, like, they've had some injuries on that line, too. So Yeah. What what's worked well? Is it protect? Is it him just getting rid of the ball quick? Is it is it the style? Is it what Matt Lafleur wants him to do? I think it's all that plus that they have good backups. I mean, how many teams can lose their all pro left tackle? I mean, he hasn't played yet. Uh, he's coming off pup this week, so he'll practice, but certainly won't play because it's been uh, you know the first practice since his ACL injury in uh, in January. Uh, then they they move their Pro Bowl left guard over to left tackle. 
He lasts two games, hurts an ankle, misses three. So now you're, you're down to your number three left tackle, who's a guy named Yash Neisman, who played all of 14 snaps in the NFL in his entire career. <laughs> and I think at least half of those were kneel downs at the end of games last year. <laughs> Goes in and plays left tackle, starting against San Francisco. Uh, you know, you're talking about a great defensive front. Then goes and plays Pittsburgh, another, you know, edge rusher extraordinaire and what. And they, he was totally fine. Now, granted, they adjusted, got the ball out quick. Um, they played a couple games without their starting center. Um, Josh Myers, your Ohio State guy, yeah. uh, uh, second round pick, who's going to be the starter and starting center here for a long, long time. But they bring in a, a backup guard, Lucas Patrick. He plays center. No problem. So uh, it, it, it's, it's scheme. It's Rodgers. It's coaching. And I think it's the personnel department, you know, just finding good backups uh, because I'm not sure how many teams could sustain the injuries that they've had on the offensive line. Right now they're starting, or, well, who knows we'll start at center this week because Myers is hurt. But when they've been regular line this year, uh, they've started a rookie at center, a rookie at right guard, a second year guy in John Runyon at left guard, and then a bunch of then three different left tackles. And, and you know, it's funny because with, and, Getting good back because I'm sure they've done a good job of that because clearly you have to be able to play, but it also shows you how important it is to get that guy a quarterback. Um, but I mean, that, that goes beyond that too, because you still have to do certain things defensively also banged up. What is this? What are, what's the rundown on the status of the health and what's going on with that unit? Yeah. So obviously um, they don't have uh, Zadaria Smith, their pro bowl uh, edge rusher. He's, he played right. 18 snaps in the opener and then head back surgery. So he's probably gone for quite a while. Jair Alexander, their Pro Bowl, second team All-Pro cornerback, one of the rising stars in this league, he's out with a shoulder injury. He's going to miss this game. Their other opening day starting quarterback, Kevin King, uh, he's out with a shoulder injury. You know, missed last week, maybe could play this week. Um, and, and throw in on top of that, you got a new defensive scheme in Joe Barry, who Washington right. fans are familiar with. Uh, and I, I wrote a piece uh, It's going to run uh, this week on ESPN.com about their red zone defense, which has been an absolute zero. Uh, and right. by zero, I mean actually 100% touchdowns for the other team. 15 trips for opponents inside the red zone, 15 touchdowns. Uh, the great uh, stats and info people, along with Elias, told me that this is the first time in at least 40 years that a team has not gotten a single red zone stop wow. through six games in a season. And when they say at least 40 years, that's as far as the play-by-play -play data goes back. So wow. it might be longer. I mean, not even a field goal. Like they haven't even come up with a field goal. Everybody season. wants consistency, Rob. <laughs> so, so if you throw all that in there, everything we talked about, defensive issues, offensive line, injuries, um, and, you know, relatively only a few weapons, the fact that they're five and one, it's Again, shocking. It goes back to right off the tight. Goes back to that. This is a quarterback league, and this is a coaching league. Um, Joe Barry, you brought him up, and I know Washington fans kind of cringe if they hear him because his tenure here wasn't great. How, I know the injuries and what you just said, but how has it been going with him? I got to be honest with you, I don't see a whole lot of difference between what he's doing and what Mike Pettin did. Just like I don't didn't see a whole lot of difference between what Mike Pettin did and Dom Capers. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a three-four defense. They still play nickel, uh, you know, against three wides. They still play dime on third downs. Um, I don't the, – the blitzes aren't any more exotic. Um, the coverages aren't any more exotic. I, I, I got to be honest, I don't see a heck of a lot of difference. The one thing that they seem to be doing 
well is not giving up big plays. Uh, now they have all kinds of miscommunications in the red zone, but as far as explosives go, it's sort of the opposite results of Patton's defense mm. last year. They would bend and give up, you know, big plays in the middle of the field, but when they got down to the red zone, uh, they were one of the top, I think, five or six red zone defenses in the league. This year, it's kind of the opposite. They get a lot of stops in the field of play uh, until they get in the tw- inside the 20, then it's uh, it's total disaster. You know, something tells me that streak might end this Sunday, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, last thing then, looking at the defense, Kenny Clark, how well is he playing? And what, I guess this will be a two-part, what has worked well? And where would you say you, if when teams really hurt them, is it just in the pass game or where is it? Yeah, so Clark um, has really played well uh, the, the last – I had a rough start in the opener, but so did everybody in that 38-3 loss to the Saints. He's been getting double teamed, and he's still beating him. I mean, look, I'm, he's not Aaron Donald, okay? I get it. But he is a darn good nose tackle. Um, he plays – he's an all-three down guy. You know, they don't take him off the field in dime. Uh, and then what's helped the last couple of weeks is a kid named Dean Lowry, number 94 – He's a fourth year guy out of fourth or fifth year guy out of Northwestern. He's had a sack in each of the last two games. So now it gives defenses, you know, something to think about. The biggest issue for these guys has been uh, just the big, I'm sorry, the miscommunications when they get down and it's all secondary issues. It's, it's, you know, it's safeties thinking they're in one coverage and corners thinking they're in the other and vice versa. Um, You know, so if, if you can somehow confuse the secondary, and safety Darnell Savage had a concussion last week, so I can't imagine him playing this right. week. So there could be even more new new faces in the secondary. That's about the only way, um, you know, that this defense has has really broken down. Because if you look at this, the, the statistics, they're like fifth in overall defense. They're top 12 in both uh, against the run and the pass. So it's not like one area is out of whack. Um, you know, they just got to get that red zone figured out. Well, like I said, there's a team coming to town that's had an offense that's kind of struggling. So it'd be the second week they faced a supposedly weakened defense. So we'll see if they can take advantage. Rob, you're awesome. Great insight. Always love it. So thanks a lot for coming on. Looking forward to seeing you Sunday. Get the brats ready. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Dan Graziano. What is the national perception of this franchise and how much has it changed since the season began? And before I play this conversation, I do want to make one note because we talked about the current this current regime and how much of the past problems kind of followed them and how much it belongs on their shoulders. The one part we didn't get into was the DEA investigation, which of course would stick with this current regime because Ron Rivera is the guy who brought in Ryan Vermillion. And I know Dan probably would have mentioned that had we actually remembered to mention that. It's kind of a big forget, but with so much going on that that's what happened. But it is remembered enough to put it here. Anyway, after this break, I'll play my conversation with Dan. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Dan Graziano. Dan, I wanted to bring you on to talk from about this franchise from a national perspective because sometimes you get so wrapped up into things, and right now, up close, it looks crazy. I'm curious what the perception of this franchise is right now from a national look. Well, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think it, it always looks like something's going on, and it's often not good. You know, it's interesting. You think back to the off season, and I think there was an expectation that you know, they might have a good team. And, and the, you know, I think the, you know, that Rivera brings some level of, you know, uh, 
you know, a, a confidence and, and just calm to the whole proceedings, but you know, they haven't played well. And then on top of all that, you continue to kind of either be in the middle of or on the fringes of the wrong kinds of headlines, which is something we've all gotten used to from this team for years. And I think, you know, I, I can imagine in the market, it feels like same old, same old. And what do you think that the thought is of Rivera outside here now? Do people still think he's a guy that can get this going in the right direction? I think probably whatever you thought of Rivera before, it probably hasn't changed, right? Like if you thought he's the right guy for the job to get it turned around, then you probably still believe that. It hasn't been that long to the point where he would say, right. you know, well, you know, but if you felt like a – you know, maybe he's the wrong guy, then then you probably have evidence to support your theory. And if you felt like, well, nobody can get that thing turned around, then you have evidence for that too. So I, I think in terms of Rivera, he's very well liked around the league. I mean, I, I don't I don't know anybody doesn't like him. Right. Um, I guess you can you can make different draw different conclusions about his record as a head coach, uh, depending on what you want to look at. You know, not very many winning seasons, but he's had some really good ones and he's been able to get some average teams into the playoffs. So, you know, we'll see. I, I just – every time a guy goes there, I just wonder, you know, for how long. <laughs> I mean, trust me, I, I, I agree with yeah. that. But you, you've been around them a little bit. What – when you – and, you know, I know it's like it's harder these days to get maybe a great feel for a franchise because of the lack of access that we have. But when you've been around at the stadium or whatever, what's – do you – is there any sort of vibe that you pick up from anybody? You know, talking to the players, like, it, it's, I mean, like Jonathan Allen and people like that, like, I mean, there, there's a sense of, like, you know, we know what we're doing. We can get it turned around. We believe in each other. I, I think, you know, they don't have – I don't think they think they have the answer at quarterback. Right. Uh, and I'm not talking about the players. I mean, I mean the, you know, the, the, the franchise itself. But I think when you, when you talk to – I think there's enough players on the roster that are, you know, good, solid guys – that you know you you can build a core of something if they did have a quarterback I mean I guess the best they could do this offseason was Fitzpatrick and then he hasn't been able to play so we really don't know but if you could plug in a quarterback who is you know capital letters the answer then I think you could turn it around pretty quickly because there, do, there does seem to be and I know the defense hasn't played well obviously but I think there there are definitely people on that side of the ball especially that uh that you could look at and say, yeah, we can win with those guys. So I don't, I mean, they, they obviously wish they were playing better. Uh, and I don't know if they have finger on exactly what's gone wrong, especially on defense. Bad vibe, like, like oh, everybody wanting out and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm, you know, the, that's the other thing too, because obviously, you know, Taylor Heineke still starting. And I think there are a lot yeah, of they like him. The players like him. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but how do you think he's viewed? Like my take, my understanding is very low end starter, high end backup. How do you, you know, even outside here, how do you think he is viewed? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, he impressed a lot of people in the playoff game. Right. And I think, right. you know, based on that, uh, people think, oh, this is a guy that can keep you in a game. Uh, you hear that word gamer a lot. Right. Like, like he'll, you know, he, he'll, right. he's tough enough to do it. It's not too big for him, but you know, is it too big for his, Ability, right? Like, is, is, it, is there a ceiling on what he can give you at the quarterback position from a talent uh, and ability standpoint? And I think there probably is. Uh, and so they have to continue looking. And I think that's probably the perception. Look, if Fitzpatrick comes back healthy, does he get the job back or does Heineke keep it? I, I got to imagine that's up in the air. And we don't, I, I don't, I don't think we have a sense of when and if 
Fitzpatrick is coming back right. anyway. But regardless, I think the perception is that they'll be in the quarterback market next offseason. Yeah, I, I think I think there's no doubt about that. It's funny because um, even with, you know, you bring up what it could do, what they could do with a quarterback. You look at the Chiefs, the Packers, all those injuries and what happens when you have that kind of a quarterback. Now, those guys are hard to find. So, I, you know, that that's why they're able to do it. But it does show you how one guy can turn it around like that, too, you know? Well, I think, you know, the Cardinals are a weird example because they, they did change the plan on the fly a couple of times. True. They decided, you know, having the one pick, you know, let's just do it differently. We think we can do something special with Kyler Murray and a coach that fits with him. And it's worked out to some extent, right? All right they're 6-0. and You know, do they cash this in or do they fade again? We'll, we'll find out. To me, I think the Buffalo Bills are the prime 17 years without a playoff appearance. And then Sean McDermott and Brandon Bingo there and – you know, now they are perceived as one of the best, if not right. the best team in the AFC, maybe the whole league. So, and they built it, you know, they built it the way that teams all want to build it, right? They, they, they built the roster with, with smart, you know, decisions and free agency. They didn't overspend for anyone in particular. They drafted well, and then they picked the quarterback when they had the opportunity to, and they already had an infrastructure around it. They've, they've had continuity on the coaching staff. Like I know Brian Dayball wants to get a head coaching job, but the fact that he's been Josh Allen's offensive coordinator all four years, that, that matters. I mean, there's no question right. that has something to do with, with the player Josh Allen has become. So uh, I think stability is, is a key thing there. And then just, you know, sort of the idea of having a plan and, and believing in it and sticking to it and having the people in place that can execute it for you. And I think Cleveland's showing a little bit of that, having issues right now, obviously, but um yeah, I think that's, that's the key. It's just funny, though, because like you would think that this franchise would have had maybe something go right like that. But it seems like every time something goes right, it goes wrong, whether it's Robert Griffin III or, you know, the cousin situation or, you know, they get to the playoffs last year and they just they haven't been able to build on anything. And, and that as you as you well know. Yeah. And it's I mean, where does I mean. What, what is that? Is that impatience of ownership to, to stick with someone? Is it, is it the fact that things turn sour there for reasons involving, um, you know, personality conflicts, differences of philosophy? I mean, you know, the Bruce Allen uh, a couple of years ago is, is out. Was he involved? You know, was, was he a guy that, that, you know, people had trouble getting along with and, and agreeing with or, or, or vice versa? You know, it's just you just got to have you got to have a coherent belief from the very top in the people you put in place to execute the plan. And you can't change your mind as quickly as some of these teams do. Do, do you like this front office, the Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew? I do. I, again, that, that's, it looks like a good group, Ron Rivera. Right. I mean, you know, again, I'm sure he's taking a beating down there. You know, Jack yeah. Del Rio, pretty well-respected defensive coach, you know, uh, Scott Turner, obviously the bloodlines and the experience uh, on offense. Yeah, yes, it looks like a group of people that could run a successful franchise. And, and again, this you only have to go back two months right, to, right. to find a point where, where there was a widespread belief that they were on the verge of that. And maybe yeah. they are. I mean, you know, like, yeah, we're through week six. Teams right. go on winning streaks. Like, I'm not saying I see it coming with them, but right. – you know, big picture, we want to judge them on six weeks. You know, you'd rather judge them on three, four years right. at least, and they haven't had that yet. So, yeah, I, I, I do. I think that front – and my understanding of the front office structure, you know, with Herney and Mayhew, and I, I think I think they work well together. I, I think they, they seem to have uh, divvied up roles that everyone's comfortable with, and 
and uh, it doesn't seem to be. I Maybe mean, you tell me if I'm wrong. It doesn't no, seem I to think, be a lot of sort of infighting. No, I, I think I think that I think that's accurate, and and that's why some of this has been very baffling. Why it's not going better, to be honest, because it does seem like there are parts in place where you would have expected more. And last thing on this team, then how much with this the whole the emails and the DEA and all that, like. What do you make of all that? I mean, and, and how much do you put on the group that's here now versus like this is just something they're always going to have to – that's always going to follow them? You mean the group that's here now? Meaning the, the group we meaning the, the Jason, the Jason Wright and the current regime. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think you can put this on them. It all seems to have predated them, the, the email stuff and, you know, as I said, the Bruce Allen stuff. But, I mean, they're stuck with it, right? Like – yeah. You were saying last week, I think you said it on Twitter, maybe in other places too, um, there's no trust. There's right. no, like, you know, the, the Sean Taylor thing happens and they can explain it any way they want, but no one's going to buy their explanation, Correct. even if they're telling the truth. Like right. the, the fan Absolutely. base is conditioned to not believe them. And that's a terrible place to be yeah. in as a franchise. And especially, I mean, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I mean, this was yeah. a model. French, like a flagship franchise, a, a consistent winner, uh, one of the most incredibly loyal fan bases uh, in all of sports. I, I went to college there in the early 90s and, you know, right around the time of the, the Mark Rippon Super Bowl. And, you know, you couldn't believe the way people rooted for that franchise. Yeah. And I, I, a lot of that is eroded and, and you would never have imagined it could. I, I think no. that's what's most amazing. It is, and it's actually been shocking to see. Um, let's turn a little bit to a couple more minutes on the Deshaun Watson trade rumors and the Tua and all that. What's your sense of of that situation? My sense is that really not much has changed in the past several months. I think what we're seeing now is proximity of the trade deadline, right? right. November 2nd. And as that gets closer – Whichever party that's involved of the three, right? That that would be Houston, Miami, and Watson slash Watson's agent, right? Right. Whichever of them is most motivated to make a deal happen is going to do what they can. And uh, unfortunately for whoever that is, you need everyone in agreement. Watson, I count Watson because he has no trade clause, right? So he could veto a trade. But if if my understanding all along is that Miami has been interested, he's interested in Miami. Houston has demanded a high price. Miami hasn't been willing to pay it. And there's too much uncertainty around the situation, given his off-field issues, uh, for anything to really change. All of that stuff is still true, as I understand it. Okay. Now, could something change in the next you know, week and a half? Yes. Could Houston drop its price? Could there be some sort of resolution on the, on the legal matter? Uh, any of that stuff. But we can't predict it. Right. So until something changes... Uh, I don't think – I think it's it's in limbo. Do you think there would be much – what kind of a market do you think there would be for Tua if, if Miami does this and, and needs to trade him? I mean, we're 18 months away from him being the fifth pick in the draft. And, right. you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They're getting ripped for taking him over Herbert. Nobody before the draft was saying no, you know, no. Herbert over Tua. Like, that's all revisionist history. So there are definitely people in positions of player assessment and evaluation – that really, really liked this guy and probably still do. Now, what we've seen in the NFL obviously hasn't helped a positive perception of him as a player, but 
uh, I don't think it has completely eradicated any positive perception of him as a player. I, I think there are going to be teams out there that say, yes, on that talent, I will take a chance uh, that he was in a bad situation in Miami and we can fix it. Um, so I think there would be a market for him if Miami made that move uh, for Deshaun Watson. I just don't know when. See, right. if, if Miami traded for Watson right now, he's not going to play for them before right. the trade deadline, right? So right. If, if at all this year. So, you know, your, your window to trade to it now would, would close quickly and then they would have to do it in the offseason, which is probably for the best because that's when you'll have, a, you'll have more teams uh, looking. Right. What do, you, what do you think it would take to get him? I mean, this is very vague because we don't know how many teams are going to go after him. That's always going to drive up the price. But in general, have you even gotten to the point where you say, oh, it would take maybe this kind of a pick to get him? No, but if you go back to Josh Rosen trade, which was a year after right. he was picked, uh, I believe a late second went their way from Miami. I thought they did pretty well in that. Um, so you got to probably figure that. Now Tua will have one less year left on his rookie deal than Rosen did at that point. So maybe you're looking at a middle round pick. But yeah, like you said, it depends on how many teams are in it yeah. and what the market is. Last question, Dan. Thank you for your time. But the NFC East <laughs> – before the season, you know, I was one of those who thought, oh, Washington's going to be the first team to do this yeah. since 2004. And it turns out I'm an idiot. So, which is, which is yeah. no, nothing new. Um, just ask my kids. But how do you see this now? Is just Dallas is just going to run yeah. away with this? I mean, it just looks like that, right? There, I mean, it's, it's hard to see it otherwise. It does. It's hard to see it otherwise from here. They have, they have more wins than the other three teams combined. Uh, through six weeks, and that's that's pretty intense, right? And they look great, by the way. Like they do, they, they look. They good. don't look like a fluke. So no. I don't know. I mean, look, Dak Prescott has a, an injured calf. They are off this week. They they're hopeful that he'll be able to play in week eight, but they don't know for sure. If that were to cost him some games, that that's the kind of thing you look at. How do they go back to the pack? Right. Uh, so that's possible for anyone, obviously. Right. But, um, but yes, uh, looking at the way the rosters are structured, looking at the way everyone's played, it is very, very difficult to look at the NFC East and feel like anybody's going to push Dallas. Nope. And that's, that's how it's, it's clearly appears that way. And, you know, it's not what, it's not shaping up the way I thought it would by any no, means. Never, I thought it would at least be a, right. It never does. And I thought, it, you know, and I thought it would at least be closer into December. Like a Dallas one is like, well, you know, but because I didn't I didn't think their defense would be this opportunistic. And that's been nope. a big that's been a big change for me because you knew the offense would be good. Um, but, you know, I also didn't know that Fitzpatrick would be out that long, but I'm not sure that it would have mattered. So Dallas is playing that well. Dan, thanks for coming on, man. Happy to do it, John. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Dan and Rob for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode after the game Sunday. Talk to you next time.